Good evening. You can open with me in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 4, where we left off last week. We're going to look at two kings this evening, two brief accounts of two of the kings of Judah. We start with Jehoram and his reign as king of Judah. And then uh, after we're done with that, we'll look at uh, Ahaziah, his son's reign. But let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you as always asking that you would make it clear to us what your will for our lives is. That you challenge us in the areas we need to be challenged in. That you'd correct those areas of our hearts that need to be corrected. That you'd guide and lead us in the path that you have called us to travel and give us the strength and the courage to obey your will. That we might be blessed in all we say and do. That it might honor you and glorify you. And that, Lord, you would be glorified as we follow your will for our lives. As we reach others with the truth, but as we love others in the truth, and as we take your word to those who need to hear it. We ask that you bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to see in chapter 21, verse 4, that Jehoram ascended the throne after... His father had set up not only Jehoram as the high king, but as we saw at the end of last week's study, we also saw that he set up a number of his sons, sort of as dukes or as princes. But here's what happened. We read in verse 4 that when Jehoram established himself firmly over his father's kingdom, he put all his brothers to the sword, along with some of the princes of Israel. Joram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. It's really kind of sad when you think about it, because his father had taken the kingdom and given it to Jehoram, but he also had given responsibility and leadership positions to his other sons. His his father was a, a good king, Jehoshaphat. We looked at his life over the last two weeks, and He tried to set things up properly, but, you know, there's something about, you know, you can write a will, you can leave a legacy, but once you're gone, you can't come back and correct that or change it. It's it's in the hands of others. I always think about this, that once I'm gone, whatever I leave behind isn't my problem anymore. But, you know, this is sad. This is really awful. We're going to see that this man was a wicked man. He murdered his own six brothers and some of the other princes after his father's death. His name means, or meant, exalted by Jehovah. He reigned as king for eight years, as we've learned, as we'll find out. And he was 32 years old when he became king. We see that in verse 20 of this chapter. His father, Jehoshaphat, had ruled for 25 years, and he was a very good and well-respected king. This man had actually ascended to the throne as co-regent about four years prior to his father's death. So he really only reigned four years by himself. The other four he was reigning under his father's leadership. Both his father Jehoshaphat and his grandfather Asa had followed this practice. And among the kings of Judah, it was fairly common for the high king to anoint his heir and have that king assist him as sort of a prime minister or a second king, a co-regent, uh, in leading the kingdom. The king was, or the father was still the high king, but then you had a secondary king who was the son, and this gave him some experience and also helped with the responsibilities of the kingdom. So here this man had four years' experience with his dad, who was a good king, and then the next four years of his life were just out of control and awful. So 
This provided everything that he needed to be a good king. And by the way, when Jehoshaphat was off fighting with Ahab, the king of Israel, and getting involved in other ventures, this man was left in Jerusalem to rule and to reign. He was set up very well. Everything should have been good, but it wasn't. We read in verses 6 through 7 that his relationship with the Lord was the problem. He was evil. He didn't serve the Lord. For we read in verse 6 that he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, that is the northern kingdom, as the house of Ahab had done, for he married a daughter of Ahab. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, because of the covenant the Lord had made with David, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David. He had promised to maintain a lamp for him and his descendants forever. So because of God's goodness and his promise to David, despite the fact that this man was so evil, he allowed the kingdom to continue. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, you know, you can say Jehoshaphat was a good king, but his father, that is Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, had forged an alliance with Ahab, the king of Israel. We saw this over the last two weeks. He would make these alliances, get in these relationships with very ungodly people. And this involved Jehoram's tragic marriage to Athaliah, who was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, two of the most wicked people in the Bible, Ahab and Jezebel. They were a force to be reckoned with as they really reigned side by side over the northern kingdom of Israel. So now they're married into this family. Jehoshaphat was actually rebuked by Jehu the seer, who was a prophet, for making this alliance, for doing this thing. His family had a history of making compromises with the enemy for the sake of peace. There are some people, and we've been talking about this over the last two weeks, who would rather have peace at any cost. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, so I'm not going to speak my convictions. I'm not going to do anything to make anyone feel uncomfortable. I'm going to continue to just, just you know, serve God on my own, and when, and when the challenge comes up, I'm, I'm just going to walk the other way, not say what needs to be said. And you know, that's just not a good way to live. And it led to tragic consequences in Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat's life. He ended up following the example of his ungodly and idolatrous in-laws, Ahab and Jezebel. Now, he had a great potential. He had a godly father. He even had a godly grandfather. And yet, as you'll see, just having all that you need to be a good and godly person doesn't take away from the fact you and I, we have to make a choice. Children have to make a choice. And they oftentimes, we oftentimes make the wrong choice. And that's unfortunate. And you can say, well, the parents must have done something wrong. You know, it's very important that you understand, as it relates to prodigal children, that God had prodigals. Right? I mean, Adam and Eve were his children, and they sinned. When the Lord walked the earth, he had 12 disciples. One went really bad. You can't blame the parents for everything. And especially in this case, you, you have the parent making a decision that did affect the son But there are times where even when parents make mistakes, the children still are responsible for their own choices, especially as they get older. And all of us, you know, regardless of what type of parents you had, whether godly or ungodly, you're still held accountable before God for your own choices. And that was the case here. Unfortunately, he was strongly influenced by his wife and her wicked parents. And I've met some people who marry into a family, you know, a not-so-good family, and they become not so good. And that just happened, that happens sometimes. It's unfortunate, but it happened here. But the Lord showed mercy to Judah, that is the kingdom of Judah, for David's sake. 
He kept his promise to David, despite the wickedness of his sixth descendant, Jehoram. He raised up a son to succeed him, as we'll see. He didn't destroy the kingdom of Judah during his reign, though they were certainly worthy of that judgment. And I think when you see, even in our nation, God sparing the judgment that we deserve, you have to really say, God is merciful, amen? God is gracious. Aren't you glad that God is merciful and gracious toward you, toward our nation, toward us as a people in this world? God's mercy always abounds or exceeds anything I can begin to imagine in terms of love, concern, faithfulness, mercy and grace, always above and beyond what I could even begin to imagine. And so God was good even though they were wicked. Well, then we read of a few things. First in verses 8 through 15, he lost control of a lot of the lands that they were in control of uh, prior to his becoming king. And we'll pick it up in verses 8. And then we'll go through, third, uh, through 15. In the time of Jehoram, Edom rebelled against Judah. Edom was a nation to the southeast, a kingdom, and set up its own king. And so Jehoram went there with his officers and all his chariots. The Edomites surrounded him and his chariot commanders, but he rose up and broke through by night. And to this day, that is as this book is being written, or at least the account in this book is being written, to this day Edom has been in rebellion against Judah. Libna revolted at the same time because Jehoram had forsaken the Lord, the God of his fathers. He had also built high places on the hills of Judah and caused the people of Jerusalem to prostitute themselves and had led Judah astray. Jehoram received a letter from Elijah the prophet, interesting, which said, This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. You have not walked in the ways of your father Jehoshaphat or of Asa king of Judah. But you have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and you have led Judah and the people of Judah, or excuse me, of Jerusalem, you have led Judah and the people of Jerusalem to prostitute themselves just as the house of Ahab did. You've also murdered your own brothers, members of your father's house, men who are better than you. So now the Lord is about to strike your people, your sons, your wives, and everything that is yours with a heavy blow. You yourself will be very ill, with a lingering disease of the bowels until the disease causes your bowels to come out. That does not sound pleasant. About as horrific as it can be. If you've ever had a stomach ache, you know how much that can really hurt. This goes well beyond that. You know, what we learn here, this man lost control of lands that were formerly controlled by those that preceded him. The lands of Edom and Libna, they rebelled. And when one nation saw the weakness of them as a leader, well, another nation rose up. We're seeing that in our world today. When you show weakness in Afghanistan, well, you have to expect that there'll be weakness in other areas. So other nations feel emboldened and empowered to test our resolve because we've shown weakness at a leadership level in our nation. And so because of these things, In our nation today, we're beginning to see a loss of influence in the world because people recognize a lack of leadership, a lack of will, a lack of strategy, of capability in leadership. Well, this is what happened here. First, he marched out, right? He tried to hold on or control, regain control of Edom, but he had no military ability. 
or prowess, so they result, it resulted in a failed military campaign. He ran away from the battle as a coward and caused his own army to flee as well. There's nothing worse than watching a strong army or nation shrink back in cowardice. And again, it emboldens enemies to attack. We see that today. We see it throughout history. We've seen it. His lack of strong spiritual leadership prompted these people to rebel against him. He forsook the God of his fathers. He built high places which caused Judah to sin. He actually promoted wickedness. His father and his grandfather tried to get rid of the wickedness, drive it out, but no, he promoted it. He was a real miserable person, and he died a miserable death, as we'll see as a result. He forsook the God of his fathers. He built these high places. He, re- he was rebuked through a letter. I like this because, you know, we, we think of Elijah the prophet. So much is written about him in the, the books of Kings. But, you know, here you have this situation where Elijah wrote a letter. He was rebuked through a letter written by this prophet. He and his family and the kingdom of Judah would be judged for his many sins. And he would be afflicted with a lingering disease of the bowels. That meant a very slow death. I've heard, and I'm no expert in forensics, but I've heard that if you're shot in the stomach or you're stabbed in the stomach, unless you're under the knife very quickly and the surgeons really operate right away to save your life, you you get filled with sepsis, terrible things happen, and you die, but not a quick death. You die a very slow and painful, miserable death. And uh, this was not a gunshot wound, certainly. It It wasn't being stabbed. It was something internal that God allowed to happen happened to him, a lingering disease. Well, we know he was then attacked and humiliated by the Philistines and the Arabs. See, what happened is the Edomites raise up. He can't deal with it. Then Libna raises up. They break free of his influence. And now the other nations say, how they're weak. Let's pounce. And so you see in verses 16 through 17, the Lord aroused against Jehoram the hostility of the Philistines and of the Arabs who lived near the Cushites. They attacked Judah, invaded it, and carried off all of the goods found in the king's palace together with his sons and wives, took them into custody, or actually into slavery. Not a son was left to him except Ahaziah the youngest. Now, it just doesn't get any worse than this, right? I mean, the enemies attack. They see weakness. They, they, they like sharks smell blood in the water. You know, they, they realize this is, a, this is an opportunity. We have to take it. So they attacked and humiliated the kingdom kingdom of Judah and the people of Judah. And these are people, the Philistines and the Arabs, these were people that were subjugated. These were people that were really at peace with Judah. But now they're not. That's because the Lord aroused these once loyal allies against him. God does it. He raises up enemies against people that rebel against him. He uses that to bring them to repentance. They attacked and invaded Judah. They plundered the king's palace, stole his sons and wives. But the Lord graciously preserved the kingly line of David, like he said he would, through Jehoram's youngest son, Ahaziah. Just one child survived. Now, Queen Athaliah, that is, the wife of Jehoram, was probably visiting her brother Joram, who has kind of the same name as Jehoram, but Joram, with her son Ahaziah when this occurred. So she may have been out of the country. So through the circumstances, it seems she wasn't around. The son wasn't around. One son escapes. The rest of them are all taken into custody or taken into slavery. And what's interesting is, remember, he had killed all of his brothers and his relatives who were princes. And look what happened to him. 
the judgment was all of his children, except for one, were put to death or taken into, and, and sold into slavery, essentially. Horrible. But he brought it on himself because he was a wicked man. Now, what we do know from Second Kings chapter 8 is that the record of all of this king's accomplishments has been preserved. We not only have this account here, we also have Second Kings chapter 8, verses 16 through 24, um, so he's recorded in what they call the Annals of the Kings of Judah, which is First and Second Chronicles, and the Book of the Kings of Judah and Israel, which is First and Second Kings. So we actually know a fair amount about him. Uh, what we do know is that he was afflicted by the Lord and died a miserable and painful death, and that's recorded for us in verses 18 through 20 as we close this section. After all this, after all that, that's a lot. Right? That, that was, remember, this all happened within about four years. Because while he reigned for eight years, it was the four years that he was king on his own where he really experienced all of this judgment. We read, after all this, you know, just before we get, it's amazing how much damage a, a terrible leader can do in just four years, as we're finding out. We're not even into four years. After all this, the Lord afflicted Jehoram with an incurable disease of the bowels, And in the course of time, at the end of the second year, his bowels came out because of the disease, and he died in great pain. His people made no fire in his honor, as they had for his fathers. Joram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He passed away to no one's regret, and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. You get an idea that this guy's favorability ratings were in the tank. This is somebody who certainly was not missed when he was gone. Is that how we want to live our lives? That when you're gone, people are just like, good riddance. No. But this man brought it on himself. He could have repented at any moment, like others before him had. But he chose not to because he was wicked to the core. He was, you know married into this family of these wicked people, and he behaved like them. And some people just refuse to repent. Have you ever noticed that? No matter what you say, no matter what you try to do, no no matter how you try to help them, they just will not change. It is an act of the will. And then some enablers will come along and say, well, you know, his upbringing, well, you know, he didn't have a father, well, you know, he was abandoned by his mother. Yeah, okay, that's a terrible thing. But he's still responsible. She's still responsible for his, her choices. And each and every one of us are. So he was afflicted by this terrible, miserable disease. Died a miserable and painful death. And by the way, it was about two years of suffering. About two years of suffering. So that's because it says at the end of the second year. Imagine that. I've already outlined it. He reigned for like eight years. Four of it was under the supervision of his dad. And then two of these years, just suffering. At any point, he could have repented and cried out to God. And I believe firmly that he would have restored him or healed him. But that's not the heart of a wicked person. As we've said, he was 32 years old when he became king. Reigned for just eight years. He wasn't honored or lamented by, at all uh, by his people after his death. In fact, his people were glad to be rid of him and denied him a burial in the tombs of the kings. He rested with his fathers, as we know, and he's waiting for the uh, the coming judgment. And and that's what happened to all the kings. Uh, 
They rested with their fathers in Sheol. And the youngest son of Ahaziah succeeded his father as king of Judah. And so sort of a, a horrible, horrible reign, a horrible life, and a horrible death. Well, then the son Ahaziah is talked about now. We have his account in the next nine verses. And uh, we'll read verses 1 and 2. Neither of these two individuals are, are all that great in terms of examples. They're horrible examples. But it says the people of Jerusalem made Ahaziah Jehoram's youngest son king in his place since the raiders who came with the Arabs into the camp had killed all the other sons. So Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. And Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem one year. His mother's name was Athaliah, who we've already mentioned, the granddaughter of Omri, who was the father of Ahab, right? So that wicked family, that dynasty of wicked, wicked people in the northern kingdom. Let's just look at those verses first. I want to note that it was the people of Jerusalem that actually made Ahaziah their king after, uh, after his father's death. But he was the only one left. Really wasn't many to choose from. He was the youngest and only surviving son of Jehoram because these raiders had come in and killed all of his older brothers, taken many of them into slavery. He inherited the kingdom from his father during the 12th year of Joram, king of Israel. So these kingdoms are very closely aligned at this point. Because they're interrelated, right? So Joram in the north would be the uncle of Ahaziah in the south. So there's really kind of one royal family. Just two different kings, but they're related, and it's, it's, it's not going in a good direction. And we'll see the kingdom really comes to a low point, and we'll deal with that next week. But then God raises up a good king, because of God's grace, he, he will do that. And I certainly pray he does that in our nation in the future. Well, he had ascended the throne as a co-regent during the last year of his father's illness. We know that from 2 Kings chapter 9. So that last year while he was suffering, those two years, that last year, this king had an opportunity to take over and really rule over the kingdom. But then he took over the kingdom for himself. But it's interesting because he was was really just king for one year. So, So most of that time, he didn't even really rule and reign on his own. This man didn't do any better than his father. In fact, he did worse. Well, his name means he whom Jehovah holds, but, you know, that, that's interesting because God can hold someone in contempt. God can hold someone and bless them or judge them. So that, that name really kind of, it's up to us. Do you want to be blessed by God or do you want to be judged by God? The hand of God can come against you in judgment. It can be reached out toward you in blessing. You get to decide, do you want the blessings of God or the judgment of God? That's up to you. Well, he was 22 years old when he became king. He was also called Jehoahaz, uh, which is another form of his name. And his mother, Ataliah, as we've said, was a daughter of the ungodly and idolatrous Ahab and Jezebel. Now, his relationship with the Lord is dealt with in the next two verses, verses 3 and 4. He, too, walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother encouraged him in doing wrong. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done, for after his father's death, they became his advisors to his undoing. And here's the lesson of this king, and and we learned this in the case of Jehoram as well, but in Ahaziah's case, his undoing was that he listened to bad people. He got tied in with these really wicked people, and he listened to their advice. Who are you listening to? 
You know, there's some people that listen to really bad teachers in the church, like teachers that don't teach the Word of God or teach a corrupted form of the Scriptures, cultic teachers, people who teach prosperity doctrines, which would turn your heart away from God and toward lust and covetousness and greed, which Paul says is also idolatry. Idolatry, which is greed. Greed, which is idolatry. So, you know, who is influencing you? Who, is, who do you listen to? Who is encouraging you? Who, who is directing you? Who, who is your mentor, your teachers? And I, I, my heart breaks. I've said this before. For college students that may be good and godly young people go away to school. And, and it's not even in college anymore. It's like in preschool now. Where these innocent children go to a school and then the people who are influencing them, their advisors, are teaching them all manner of evil and ungodliness. And, and, you know, who's influencing you? Who has influenced you? Who's influencing your family, your children? Who are your advisors? Because they can be your undoing. You have to be really careful, especially with young people, our children, but you have to be careful with your own heart as well. I- I'm going to go a step further. What stations do you listen to in terms of, now there's very little news, it's mostly opinion, right? There used to be a time where news was facts and opinion was something different. It's very little fact. It's almost always spin. You know, it's funny. I can tell you, listening to the political viewpoints of an individual, which of the three major cable networks these people listen to. Because their opinions are formed and and controlled by who they listen to. Who's influencing you? Who are you listening to? Who are your advisors, your mentors? Ask yourself that question tonight, because it's important who you spend time with like that, you'll become like that person. You'll start to believe the things those teachers tell you, those mentors and advisors tell you. You know, and if it's good and godly counsel from the Word of God, praise God. But if it's something else, it will undo you. It will destroy you. And we've seen it over and over again in this world. Well, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He forsook the God of his grandfather, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, He didn't learn from the example of his father, Jehoram's terrible misfortune. You would think something like that might leave a mark, watching your father suffer for two years and die the most miserable death. I'm I'm finding it very hard. Maybe the cross, crucifixion would be worse, but I'm I'm really hard-pressed to think of a worse way to go, to be honest with you. Awful. But it didn't impact him. And so he followed the example of his ungodly and idolatrous grandparents, Ahab and Jezebel. You know, he was strongly influenced, it says, by his mother, Athaliah, who literally encouraged him in wrongdoing. Imagine, imagine a parent encouraging their children to do wrong. I mean, sometimes you hear stories, and it just breaks your heart. You hear stories of abuse, physical, sexual abuse, Sometimes you, you read stories about a family and the family's involved in organized crime or they're involved in uh, some type of larceny or stealing or gambling. And, and then the children grow up in that environment and they think that's normal. They, they think they're encouraged in wrongdoing because, oh, my parents did it, my grandparents did it. This is what we do. We're pickpockets. I know that's a real problem in our world, especially over in Europe. Apparently, you you don't want to carry your wallet with you in Italy because you'll lose it. I mean, there are families 
who like perfect the art of stealing. You know, it's really something when you think about that. That skill, if I can call it that, is passed down from generation to generation. They're encouraging their children in wrongdoing. And imagine, you know, you have some of these parents who are like, well, you know, I know he's going to drink and do drugs, so I go out and I buy the alcohol and the, and the drugs and I let them party in the basement. At least I know where they are. That would be encouraging your children in wrongdoing, right? Wouldn't it? Well, I know they're going to do it anyway, so I want to make sure that they're safe. You know, I just tell them it's okay. Just make sure you use protection. And you hear some of these parents say these things. Do you realize you're encouraging your children in wrongdoing? It's like these programs where they say, well, we want want them to have clean needles. So when they overdose on heroin, at least they don't get sepsis. You hear these things and you think to yourself, what's wrong with our world? It's evil. Evil corrupts and blinds people to the truth. That was the problem here. This, this guy, Ahaziah, didn't really even have a fighting chance when you think about it. But he still could have made the right decisions. Remember, we said his name means he whom Jehovah holds. His life was in God's hands. He could have surrendered that life to God and been blessed. But he didn't. And he wasn't. Well, he followed the advice of his uncle Joram, king of Israel, after his father's death. And we read in verses 5 through 7, he made an alliance with him. Of course, it's his uncle, right? It's his, his uncle. So here's what they decided to do. And look at verses 5 through 7. It says, He also followed their counsel when he went with Jehoram, or excuse me, Joram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Hazel, king of Aram, Aram of Gilead. The Arameans wounded Joram, so he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds they had inflicted on him at Ramoth in his battle with Hazel, king of Aram. And then Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to Jezreel to see Joram, son of Ahab, because he had been wounded. Through Ahaziah's visit to Joram, God brought about Ahaziah's downfall. When Ahaziah arrived, he went out with Joram to meet Jehu, son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to destroy the house of Ahab. Now remember, he's actually part of the house of Ahab now. Even though he's the king of Judah, he's still part of the house. He's descended from the, the family of Ahab, who were descended from the Omri dynasty. So he's going to be judged with the house of Ahab. Didn't have to be that way. But he's chosen a side. And there are people in this life that have chosen a side, politically, morally, and they're corrupted. And when they're judged, it's not that we want them to be judged, but they've asked for it. And they refuse to repent. Is it any surprise? So he went to war with his uncle Joram against Haziel, king of Aram, at Ramoth-Gilead. And they were always fighting at Ramoth-Gilead because it was a very strategic location. Uh, where it was situated, uh, it allowed them to uh, set up a stronghold and be influential in the high ground over the area. And so you always hear about Ramoth-Gilead. Uh, if you controlled Ramoth-Gilead, you controlled the area, the general area around it. Uh, the armies of Judah and Israel, they're unable to defeat the Arameans. And so the Lord had raised up this Haziel, by the way, we're told in 2 Kings chapter 8, specifically to judge the kingdom of Israel for their rebellion. So they were judged. Joram, king of Israel, was forced to return to Jezreel after he was wounded in the battle. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, traveled there to meet his uncle in the wrong place at the wrong time. My mom used to always warn me about that. 
don't be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I never really completely understood it. And then she used to say, you know, if somebody gets in trouble and you weren't there, you didn't do it. Sort of this idea. She always used to say it's something like, if Johnny wasn't there, Johnny didn't do it. That's what she used to say to me. Johnny wasn't there, Johnny didn't do it. And as I got older, I grew to appreciate that counsel. Just stay out of trouble. And sometimes I wouldn't be with my friends when they got into a real big trouble, like stealing something or doing something they shouldn't do. And boy, was I glad I took that advice. Many times I chose to just hang back and not be a part of whatever it is my knucklehead friends were choosing to do that night. And sometimes they did stuff that, to be honest with you, I was, I was really, wow, these guys are doing that. And I would just kind of, hey, you know, it's okay, I got to get out of here. And then somebody would get busted or someone would get in trouble. And that was my mother's advice because she advised me well. She pushed me in the right direction. You know, my parents did. But, you know, when I think about this, he just goes to the wrong place at the wrong time. And just a little advice, uh, the Bible will tell you what's the wrong place to be. And the wrong time is any time to be in the wrong place. <laughs> There's never a right time to be in the wrong place. Well, Jehu and his troops, we're, we're told in 2 Kings chapter 9, you can read the entire account, verses 15 through 23, but we're told that Jehu and his troops, they rode out to Jezreel to confront Joram, who had been injured, and Ahaziah, who was there to be with him while he was recovering. So Joram and Ahaziah, they ride out to meet Jehu once they knew it was him, and they thought, okay, well, we'll go out to see what he wants. But Jehu condemned Joram for embracing the idolatry and witchcraft of his mother Jezebel. This guy was raised up by God. By name, he was raised up by God, Jehu, son of Nimshi, to bring judgment on the house of Ahab. And then he in instituted a new dynasty. That dynasty was taken out of power, and then you had Jehu's dynasty for a couple generations, I believe. But Joram discovered too late that Jehu had come to Jezreel to take the kingdom by force. And again, you can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 9. But uh, Jehu killed Joram, king of Israel, and uh, that was it for him. And that was it really for the house of Ahab. But Ahaziah was also killed, for we read in verses 8 through 9, and again, this is in 2 Kings chapter 9, if you want more information. This is sort of a summary. Uh, we read in verses 8 through 9, that while Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's relatives who had been attending Ahaziah, and he killed them. See, they chose a side, the wrong side, and they were killed. In verse 9, he then went in search of Ahaziah, and his men captured him while he was hiding in Samaria. He was brought to Jehu and put to death. They buried him, for they said, he is a son of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all his heart. So he was a descendant of a good king, and so they respected that. So there was no one in the house of Ahaziah powerful enough to retain the kingdom. And so now we find the kingdom of Judah without a king. Now God had preserved the child, but we'll get to that next week. But during this time, the kingdom of Judah found itself in one of the weakest times in their entire history. We'll see they were literally down to one little child. And that little child was preserved, and thankfully the line of David was preserved. But at this point, it's bleak. We're going to see it gets even worse. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But the Lord used Jehu to kill Ahaziah, king of Judah, who was also a descendant of Ahab. His alliance with his uncle Joram, king of Israel, ultimately cost him his life. 
Who you spend time with, who you ally yourself with, could cost you everything. Everything you have, all that you have, your blessings, your property, your life, your health. The princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's relatives were killed as well because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. This man, Ahaziah, this king, he was able to escape just long enough to hide somewhere in Samaria for a while, but they found him. And he was mortally wounded in his chariot by Jehu, and he escaped. We know this from 2 Kings chapter 9. We don't have those details here, but he was mortally wounded in his chariot by this man, Jehu. He escapes to Megiddo, and he dies. My, my grandma used to have a funny thing, she would say, and she used to say crazy things, but one thing she used to say, yeah, he died alone like a dog. She always used to say it just like that. He died alone like a dog. I guess dogs die alone. I don't know. But, but anyway, that's what happened to him. He died, he died alone like a dog. He was the first king of Judah to suffer a violent death. The first. Do you know that this man was omitted from Christ's royal genealogy in Matthew chapter 1? His name is skipped over. They left him out. Why do you think they did that? I mean, yes, he was in the ancestry of Christ. But when they list the ancestors, they, they jump over him from Jehoram to Joash. They don't even want to talk about this guy. Well, he was buried in Jerusalem out of respect for his grandfather. And there was no one in the house of Ahaziah strong enough to retain the kingdom. So we looked at a really sort of depressing account. Uh, we're looking at two kings. Neither really have anything... Oh, to admire about their lives. But it's important to see where sin will bring you if you don't repent of it. Sometimes it's good to be warned. If you continue on a path that leads to death and destruction and hang around with people that will bring you down, this is what happens. You end up where people don't miss you when you're gone. They're like, oh, thank God he's dead. Or a situation like this, where the only reason they even buried him was because he had a grandfather who was a good guy, a righteous king. I just want to encourage you, look at the lives of people who, get, who make mistakes and learn from their bad example. I have learned from others' mistakes. Have you? It's a good thing. You can learn from others when they get it right. and You can learn a lot from others when they get it wrong. We can take that. That's called wisdom. You know what? I may not want to do what that guy did. I don't think I'm going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know what? Maybe, just maybe I, uh, I should humble myself, or maybe I shouldn't listen to these wicked people or spend time with them. Both of these kings fell prey to that way of thinking. And because of their associations, even their relatives, even their family, they suffered greatly. One suffered that horrible disease, and the, and the other was violently killed and bled out somewhere all by himself. I hope that we can take these examples and learn from them, because God has so much better for us, those of us who humble ourselves and surrender our hearts to him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and while these accounts in your word are depressing in some ways, uh, they're enlightening in others. Help us to not be like these individuals, but to follow the examples in your word of men and women who lived for you, were in the right place at the right time, and didn't corrupt themselves in the company of those who were wicked. Like Psalm 1, they were like that tree planted by the waters.
It brought forth fruit in its season. They didn't sit in the council of the wicked and all of his time spent with those who would bring destruction into their lives. But they spent their time around people who built them up, not, tore, not tear them down, but, or tore them down, but built them up. May we be like that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.